right, good morning, church. Take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 6 this morning. And also at the same time, if you want to put your finger over it, Mark chapter 9. We'll be reading from, from there as well. And I just want to echo Pastor Casey's sentiment. All three of these couples. John Nelson. I mean, John Nelson. God. John Kelly. Where are you? I, I want you to know, every, every time I turn around, this guy is serving a student, investing in the life of a student. And no accolades. No uh, being noticed and all of those things. And he came to mind when we started thinking about who are these people that embody being a part of something, being a part of the kingdom of God, serving and giving of themselves. And he came to mind and we were just like, absolutely. Every time we turn around, he's serving in the life of a student. He's making great sacrifices for the welfare of other people. Um, Todd and Jessica Alguire, every single week, every single week. I mean, you, things that you would have no idea that they do. They give of themselves constantly and we just give praise God. Praise to God for them and their life. They've led our First Impressions team to be what they are and training and recruiting and volunteers who don't show up in every single week. And then Mike and Dana Dorsey. Oh, my goodness. Like, um, I know time and time again, uh, him even having some struggles physically, having to go through procedures and things like that. And then there he is serving in some way, taking great risk, and, and even though he doesn't feel good, there he is, Dana, serving our kids every single week. Um, you three couples just came to mind. All of you do. You give of yourselves uh, so often and so sacrificially, but we believe it's a beautiful picture of what you do every week for the kingdom of God right here at Bannockburn and his church and being and your part um, is huge. And, you know, we're not the, the type Christians shouldn't be, probably. I'll talk about that a little bit this morning, of where we're always, everybody's going around wanting to be honored and be seen. Of course, that's not the case. But sometimes we need to give honor where honor is due. Amen? The Scripture says to do that. And these people serve so selflessly, so all the time. And we thought about who embodies the idea of service so much. And, um, and that's why you were on this platform today, and that's why we honor you and we love you. And we're just grateful to God for the contribution that, that you make. Um, and so I want to say that up front as an echo. Um, uh, also, way in advance, I also want you to know that um, I'm looking at leading a trip to Israel for Bannockburn next June. Israel has opened up, and um, no vaccine requirement anymore, and no testing, and all of that sort of thing. It's all that's dropped, and so I move fast. And I put one on the calendar, and uh, I wanted a particular tour guide because Aaron is our tour guide, and I wanted him, and the only date he has was, was in next June. And actually, it's a great time to go. It's really warm. It's not the rainy season. It's, everything's in bloom, um, and it's a beautiful place. And we may even spend a couple of days on the Mediterranean coast going up uh, before we get to the Sea of Galilee and all those sorts of things. It's going to be an amazing trip. Um, one of the most amazing trips you'll ever go on, as a believer especially, um, and walking where Jesus walked, it'll open your eyes to the Bible in ways that will shock you and surprise you. Um, it, it's an amazing trip. I encourage you uh, to consider going. And um, I've been thinking about taking my own family. My girls, uh, my oldest girls, graduating college this next year. My second born is graduating high school uh, this next year. And I don't know a desire in me to have my kids go walk where Jesus walked, even to root them in more so in their faith and see where these things took place and walk in the in the, the, the land where the Bible was written. And, um, and so I just uh, seek to do that myself. If you're interested, shoot me an email, kyf at bbcfamily.com. I'll keep you in the loop on details uh, regarding that get built uh, from this point on. But Aaron, our tour guide that we love, if you traveled with me last time, um, you know Aaron. He will actually, he's coming to Bannockburn uh, later on this year. 
maybe early next year, and he's going to be leading us through a Passover meal. He was born in New Zealand, a Jew, but he's a Messianic Jew. He trusted Christ in his life. Now he gives uh, these tours all across the, the Holy Land for, for believers, and he is amazing. And you'll get to know him, and he'll actually be leading our trip. And so just know you're going to be able to meet him. So if you're interested, send me an email if you want more information about that. But I'm excited that uh, it's opened up, and we're ready to go, and we're going to full throttle it, okay? Okay, so today we're beginning a series titled, Your Part Matters. And in our passage today, Matthew chapter 6, Mark chapter 9, um, in Matthew 6, Jesus is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to also read in Mark chapter 9, verse 33 to 35, and although these are two separate uh, occasions, and, um, but I think there's a similar theme to both of them, and we're going to look at that together. So I'm going to read from Matthew 6. 1 down to verse 6, and then Mark 9 from 33 to 35. Follow along with me. Let's let the Lord guide our meditations in his word today. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word. And Lord, we gather together as your people to turn our eyes up to you. Lord, to see you, to, to, to meet with you, to hear from your word. And Lord, we pray that you'd guide us by your spirit in these moments as we meditate on your word. Um, Lord, that you'd take us where you want us to go, give us courage, fill our hearts with peace and joy in our worship. Meet with us. Give us clarity. Make us what you want us to be, and we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. In Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching against the obvious religious hypocrisy of the day. I think we can see it from our view 2,000 years later, what he's addressing. People doing religious acts for the sake of notoriety. In other words, uh, in the day, uh, the most popular thing was to be devoted to God. Um, and if you wanted to be popular, then you needed to really be devoted to God. And if your motive was to, to be seen, then you wanted to be really devoted to God so that others would see how devoted you are and give you honor and, and, a, and a place, um, a reputation. And, and so what you ended up having is a culture of people who didn't care so much about really walking with God. What they wanted to do was portray this thing about themselves in public as to, to I walk with God, and they wanted to really be seen, and their motives are being exposed by Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, if you really want to have the real deal, then be great, be, 
be in secret. Have the real walk, the genuine walk, the true walk in your heart in secret with the God who is unseen and knows and sees what you do in secret. Make your walk a secret thing so that you're not drawn into the desire that we all have to be seen, be honored, be recognized, be a place of esteem by others. And that, that just be the, the, the mantra of your life. And then in Mark 9, Jesus was talking to his disciples. They knew the kingdom is coming in Jesus. They see him as the Messiah. And to them, a Messiah was a king who's going to set up his rule and reign on the earth. And similar to how you would do today, if, a guy, if someone's running for president and you ended up getting in on his campaign, you, you guys would probably talk about, well, if he wins the presidency, maybe he'll have me in his cabinet. Maybe he'll have me in, his, in a role in the White House. Or maybe I can do something. In the, and, and this is the, what they're doing. They know he's the Messiah. They don't know when he's going to drop the hammer and actually move to establish his kingdom. But they know it's coming, and they're all kind of going, yeah, I think I'd like to have the department of whatever, you know. And, uh, and they're all talking about that. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to get the place of honor? Who's going to be esteemed? Who's going to be up close in the place of power with Jesus? Who's going to be right at his right hand? And they all begin to talk, and they begin to go, but not you. I don't know. You're not that great at this. I'm pretty good. And all of this kind of begins to get into their conversation, and this is the conversation that they're having, and Jesus just flips everything on its head when he says to them, no, 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 your motives to be in my kingdom in a high place, consider that in my kingdom it's upside down, that the greatest people in my kingdom, the ones who have the most honor and the most reward are the ones that no one knows about, the ones that serve so selflessly that they're not even noticed. That is the greatest people in my kingdom. Those people who serve and their whole minds and their whole hearts are just totally dedicated to others. That is the place of honor in my kingdom. And so he flips everything here. So in both passages, I think Jesus is really giving some principles regarding how we are to live our lives on purpose in the kingdom. What that's supposed to look like initially. And so we start this series talking about your part matters. And obviously we're talking about the body of Christ. And we're going to talk next week about the passage you're all very familiar with. Is that we are all like a body. A hand and a foot. And, a, and all of us have a role to play. And none of us do all the roles. All of us play parts of the roles. And then as we, as the body, all fulfill all together our roles. The gospel ministry and the kingdom of God work on the earth is done. And we're all a part of the big narrative. And that's the truth of the church mysterious supernatural body of Christ where all of us contribute to this effort and we receive benefits from this whole effort and all of our parts matter. But today, the lenses through which we enter into that, I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about some principles here and I want to come from Mark chapter 9 here and say, to be great in the kingdom. What does it look like to be great in the kingdom? Where do we start in being great in the kingdom? What are some things that we need to understand about the kingdom to be great in the kingdom. Straight from Jesus. So to be great in the kingdom, first, be great in sight. Like, what do you mean? I know. I have to unpack that. The key ingredient to the fullness of Christian joy in this life and the greatest reward in life in general is what keeps your attention in your life? That's the, really the key to all of it. 
The key to Christian freedom and joy is in the attention of your life being consumed with something outside yourself that is great. You see, when you think about great people who have ever lived in history, it's not that they themselves were great, per se. It's that they were gripped by something outside themselves that was great. And they were gripped to their core with the thing that was great. And in their pursuit of this thing that was great, they begin to be acknowledged as great. Think about Michael Jordan and the Bulls, right? Casey, that's for you. He says he's the greatest player of all time. Michael Jordan in himself is not great because, man, he put on some exhibitions by himself on a basketball court. And everybody was like, wow, that's pretty cool. No. Michael Jordan was great at North Carolina, great at the Chicago Bulls, and was part of something that was great. And his great role in the greatness of the Chicago Bulls is why we see Michael Jordan is great. Right? Same with Tom Brady. Tom Brady not by himself, great. Not great. He went on the field and he threw some balls. He's got a good arm. He did some good stuff. No, he was a part of something great. And his great role in a part of something great makes him great. Does that make sense? So when it comes to the kingdom, the same principle is true. And this happens in a lot of places in our life that we probably don't recognize. That the key to the Christ life, the key to the Christian life, is understanding this very principle. When you get into that zone of living where you are thinking the attention of your life is so uh, consumed with something outside of yourself that is great, and you feel drawn into it to be a part of it, that is where the real freedom and joy of life is lived. That's where it's at. A few examples of how we instinctively do this is sports. Yeah, I've already mentioned. Um, I know growing up, I always wanted to be a part of a team, particularly baseball, um, where we win games and won championships. And I always just wanted to be a part of that, and I wanted to lose myself in it. I, I wanted to play my part on a team that did great things, and that was something that was just so fun for me. But we see that same principle. People on a team, if their real goal is a championship or winning a game, they don't want to come in. They want to come in to do what's necessary in their role on this team to accomplish these objectives, and that is indeed satisfying for all of them, right? Uh, and so you see yourself doing that even with sports, even as a Texas fan. You get the number one recruit. You lose your mind. Why? Because great things are becoming. I'm part of it. Right? Uh, y'all know the number one recruit I'm talking about, right? Only Texas fans maybe. Okay, all right. I thought I lost y'all. Anyway, you're following college football, right? It's coming, y'all. Come on. And it's back. All right. Sorry. Theater. Think about being a part of a theater to, to, to tell stories in an excellent way. And you play your role in theater to tell stories that inspire people, that inspire virtue in others. Um, this is the idea. You're thinking about something outside of yourself and you're being a part of it and it's consuming you and uh, we, we experience it that way. Music, being a part of a band, being a part of an orchestra, choir, being a part of something that produces something that moves people, that moves people. And, and you're thinking, your thinking is focused on something outside of yourself. Your career, being a part of an organization that's producing a a service or, or a product that helps people or does something good in the world, and you as being a part of it and, and being consumed by that, there's a level of joy and purpose and contentment that comes from that. And so it's about your attention being focused on the thing that you feel is great consuming you and you being gripped by that thing that is great and you being involved in that thing that is great 
That is where life is lived, and that's the good stuff of life. Right there. Now, every human being needs to live this kind of life where you are consumed with something great outside yourself. Every single human being. You need to be a part of something bigger than you. Even atheists who don't believe there's a God and don't believe there's a purpose and meaning on the earth, there's not a purpose or meaning to anything, still need to find a purpose. They have to save something. They have to be a part of a cause that's doing good. Uh, to, they have to be a part of something. And, and you find us, why? Why is that? I make that argument apologetically because I appeal to our human nature. It is wired into us by God to live this kind of life. It's what makes us happy. It's what gives us joy. We are wired to do this, and you can take God out of the picture, and you can live with a, a, a basis framework in your life where there's no meaning in life, and you'll create meaning out of being a part of something. Because it's who we are. So God intends for every single human being to experience the joy of living to something outside of yourself that is great. And you feeling drawn into the thing that is great and playing your role in that thing that is great. And that is satisfying. That's where joy comes from. That's where contentment comes from. And then what you're consumed by, of the vision of the greatness thing, of the greatness of this thing, what happens to you in that is this. It's the most powerful thing that can happen to any one of us is that you don't really think or pay much attention to you. You get lost in something else. And now you're entering into the good stuff right there. When you lose yourself in something else outside of yourself. And you lose you because you aren't primarily thinking about you. Because you are so enamored by the thing that's great outside of you and you are following it. That's how people become great. Every human being, though, is born with an innate instinct to live their lives for themselves. The Bible teaches this. We are inherently selfish. Um, We don't say it out loud, right? Hey, my life is all about me, right? Some of us may not even know that we're doing it. It's subconscious. It's just part of our nature. It's instinctive for us. And we're just living for ourselves. And we don't even know it until the Spirit of God comes and goes, look at this. And you're like, whoa. You just don't even know it. You're just living for you. But every human being deep down is driven to have the attention of their life focused on them. It's subtle sometimes, subconscious, maybe unaware of it. But it's like behind all the noise in life and all the little ways that you make decisions, that's what's really driving you. It's a, it's a sense that, like, that we live our lives. Let me give you a symbol, an illustration here. It's that we're born to live our lives holding a mirror in front of us. Think about that. Just get that image in your head. And, and everything that we do, whether it's even for another person, is really for us. You know, everything that we do... Um, Jesus is talking about the hypocrites, you know. Even though we do something religious, it's still them looking in a mirror and see, you know. It's me. It's me. See me? See me. I remember Rosie O'Donnell. She was a talk show host at one time. Y'all remember her. She was interviewing, I was watching it, and one of her uh, guests was on the show. And she realized, as a guest, you're not supposed to do much talking. You're supposed to let the guest do the talking, right? You're supposed to get to know the guest, right, on the show. But she found, and it's funny because she was, she started talking a lot about herself in the interview, and she realized it, and she stopped. She said, okay, enough about me. What do you think about me? (laughs) And you know what? We're all like that. 
We're all like that. We just can't seem to get ourselves off our mind. And we live our lives with a mirror in front of us. And if we foster that kind of life, that subtlety, that's in the fabric, it, con- it, can, it, it dominates the fabric of our life, that we're looking in a mirror and everything sort of just lines up with that, and we make decisions constantly about that, us being our primary focus, that life will increasingly lead to greater and greater emptiness and misery. That is the path. And there is no way to avoid it. There may be a couple of doses of things that feel good along the way. I got this. Someone did this for me. I got that. And, and, and all of that, it, it can feel good along the way. But ultimately, it's going to lead you to a place of loneliness, emptiness, and misery. It is not the path to life. But we're all born there. And we have this thing, mirror in front of us. The joy and rewarding life is a life that gets consumed by being part of something great outside yourself. And the reason it gives us joy in our hearts, one main reason, is we stop focusing on ourselves. And Jesus is saying that's where life is found. That's where it is. It seems contradictory, but it's not. When a person becomes a Christian, the vision for their life, the sight of their life changes. The mirror that they've been holding gets replaced with a window. And through the window, they see something great. And they all do this by the power of the Spirit of God, shining this light into our hearts and our minds. And we see through the window, Jesus. And we see his kingdom. And we hear the invitation of Jesus and the greatness of his eternal kingdom. And we see it as the greatest thing in the whole universe, in all of time, and it consumes our hearts, and we hear the invitation to come and join in. And free, like not like earn it, like climb the steps to get in here. No, free, open to you. The critical element of a Christian is not that they clean their lives up and live morally. It's that they got the window by the Holy Spirit to see the greatness of Jesus and the kingdom, forgiveness of their sins, invitation into this great thing, eternally great thing. And they said, yes, yes, I'm in. I receive it. I want in. And that's what it is to become a Christian. You change, you put the mirror down and you put the window up and then you pray to God that you never pick the mirror back up again, ever, ever, and that you always keep the window there. And, and let me just tell you this, the reason you're here this morning is to keep that window in front of your face and put that mirror down for a little while because you may have picked it up this week. I got hurt. This person did this. I deserve that raise. I deserve this. That mirror starts coming back in. Misery starts filling your heart. You get back to worship and you go, ah, what am I doing? It happens to all of us all the time. You got to live with the mirror in mind, or the, the window in mind. Keep your eye on the something great. You have to live outside yourself. Jesus compares this change to a man who found a treasure hidden in a field. You all know the passage? You all know? You're familiar with this? I'm going to go preach that passage real quick unless you tell me you're familiar with it. Okay, gotcha. Okay, never mind. You're like, no, 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 I don't care. You don't know anything about it. Just tell him. Yeah, i got to go to lunch. 
Jesus said a man goes into a field and he digs and he finds treasure. And in his heart, his heart's just racing. His eyes get wide and he realizes this treasure is greater than anything on the earth. He doesn't want anybody to know about it. So he covers it up. And what does he do? He goes back to his life. Everything he once valued as very important to him. And he sells everything he has. Why? Because he, he has to give up every single thing in his life as a value in order to buy the field that that treasure's in. All of a sudden now, his friends and family are going, I'm selling everything, I'm selling everything, I'm selling everything. And they're going, what are you doing? This used to be the thing you live for. What are you doing? And he says, I'm selling it all. I'm getting rid of everything. Nothing matters to me anymore. And I'm, I'm just selling it all off because it takes everything for me to buy that field. And I'm giving away everything. I don't care about any of this stuff anymore. And I go and I buy that field. Why? He's looking through a window and he sees a treasure. And what is the treasure in the thing? It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. And let me just tell you, it's what drove Jesus himself to go all the way to the cross is the window of the kingdom. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He looked through the window. He saw you and me. He saw the kingdom. And he said, I'm all in. I'm all in. He didn't have a mirror. He had a window. The Father's will and the kingdom. It's the same window you and I look through. The same window he looked through, the same window you and I looked through. Who does that illustration point to? It points to Jesus. Yeah, he gave all for the kingdom. But guess what? It's also pointing to us. We give all for the kingdom. We give all for the kingdom. Why? None of this is important. It's not, you know what, that's important. I'm going to give away this. No, it's like, no, this is everything. I'm giving away everything. I have nothing. I am always totally coming over here to the kingdom. I, I have looked through the window, and I have seen the greatness of the kingdom, and my heart is full. That's the essence of becoming a Christian. That's what it means to become a Christian. Um, how could a wealthy businessman live in the life Sell off everything and move to a poor corner of the world where just a bunch of poor people really struggle. And he embraced their life and he begins to minister to them and does a, a very simple ministry. How could a guy do that? Well, see, other people don't see the window you see. They may go, wow, you would sell off everything for a field? That makes no sense. He goes, i seen the window. i seen through a window to something great. And I'm captured by it. And guess what? He found life. He found life. You know, it looks crazy. To others, they don't see what he sees. I want to recommend a book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. This is actually a sermon. It's a very short read, so if you get it, nice, real quick. It's actually a sermon that he wrote from another place in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians. Um, and he's talking about the same principle, that this is the key to the Christian life, is self-forgetfulness. And it's being consumed with the kingdom of God and finding your way in it and giving all that you are to it and living along those lines and along those paradigms. If you want to be great, learn to be consumed with the kingdom vision. Make your prayer, Holy Spirit, give me a vision into the kingdom and the greatness of Jesus. Spirit of God, give me what I cannot produce on my own. And that will make my heart full. And that will give me the abundant life. And I won't care about that thing anymore as much. It won't master me anymore the way it does now. I won't be so miserable when that doesn't happen for me. I have life and I can't lose. And that fills my heart. 
That's the key. It's what happens. That's what the gospel produces here. And this is why this is the first principle. Because nothing else Jesus teaches you're going to be able to do unless you're looking through the window at the kingdom. You can't do it with a mirror in your hand. None of the commands that Jesus said can you fulfill with a mirror in front of you. It can only happen with a window. If you try to work the teaching of Jesus into your life while you're still looking at a mirror, it will never work. You will constantly feel a battle over your soul. So be great in the kingdom. Well, then be great in sight. Live your whole life constantly asking the question, am I looking through a window at greatness? What's truly great? Or am I looking into a mirror? Just constantly ask that question of yourself as a believer. Secondly, be great in secret. Be great in secret. Now, what is Jesus talking about by be great in secret? Meaning there's something more important to you than being seen. There's more, something more important to you than being seen. And it's the real motive of your heart. And it's the most important thing to you than being noticed and honored and appreciated and esteemed. There's something more important to you and you don't care about the honor or the esteem anymore. How many of you saw the, how many of you know Kevin Ford? All right, let me ask that question first. Trick question. It's not trick, but Kevin Ford. You all know him? Anybody? You should know him because he works at a Burger King in a Las Vegas airport. You should know Kevin. <laughs> but not only has he worked, he, he works at Burger King in a Las Vegas airport. He has worked there for 27 years. Same place, 27 years. Well, Kevin Ford, the Burger King employee of 27 years, is on the Today Show a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week. I can't remember exactly when. Um, but here's the trick. Here's what happened. Kevin has worked for 27 years at the Burger King in the Las Vegas airport and has never missed a scheduled work day. Never. Okay. You're like, yeah, all right, that's something. That is something. That needs to be rewarded. Amen? Right? Okay. So they reward him. And do you know what they give him? There's a little, uh, he gets a bag of goodies. Okay? And so when he receives this bag of goodies, it's like a, um, a little a cheapo little plastic, clear plastic kind of backpack looking thing with the strings on it. And you put them around your shoulder. You know what I'm talking about? The thing that looks like it's going to wear out in about a week. Right? One of the, it's got a business logo on it or something. You know, that kind of thing. It's that is what I could tell what it looked like. But it had goodies in it. And inside the bag was one movie ticket, one coffee mug, some Reese's candy and, and, and so Reese's, the chocolate that he really likes, and that, and then they let him keep the bag it came in. So what he did in that moment, what would you do? Quit. <laughs> After 27 years, he said quit. What does he do? He goes on social media. And he wants all of his coworkers and friends to know how grateful he is that they thought of him, that they gave him this gift. And it was all gifts that they knew he would love. And he was so grateful. And he was just expressing his gratitude 
for them recognizing his 27 years of not missing a work day with these incredible things that they had given him. Are you there? Nobody watching social media was there either. They all went, what? They gave you Reese's for 27 years? And then he seems unaware. He seems unaware. Like, what? Well, David Spade actually goes, no, 27 years and not missing a day. Here's $5,000 on a GoFundMe. And everybody else is like, yeah. Everybody started donating to this GoFundMe page because this guy was just grateful. Now he's $300,000 in the wealth. Talk about a retirement plan. All right. So they bring him on to the Today Show and they're asking him, like, how do you go 27 years of not missing a day? He goes, no, I, I honestly didn't even think about it. I didn't even know I was missing. I, I, I wasn't missing. Like, I didn't think about it. All I knew is I had a daughter. I'm a single dad. And I got to get her supported. I got to get her everything she needs. And I, I go to work. And, and, so he, and so what you hear is a man in this whole thing. This is why everybody loves him. Because you have a man who ain't thinking about it himself. Like, at all. And a man like that is empowered to be grateful for a bag of Reese's on his 27th anniversary. He can be grateful. Why? Because what? no expectation. I do this for my daughter. I haven't thought, I haven't thought about what I should be honored for. He, he just doesn't even have that on his radar. And everybody in the country acknowledges that is honorable. That is is the spirit of a Christian in the kingdom. And, and that's all I could get when I was watching this show. We all witnessed a man who wasn't thinking of himself. And all of us know that's where it's at. But none of us know how to get there. You get there through the gospel. That's the key to humility. It's the key to humility. That's what humility is. It's not thinking about you. It's the key to joy. It's the key to fulfillment. It's the key to contentment in life. That place in your heart. Be great in secret in the kingdom. That's why Jesus is saying that. But lastly, be great in service. Jesus says, if you really want to be great, be great at serving others. Put on through their window, see the calling to be about others. Put your sight on Jesus, put your sight on kingdom, put your sight on others. And serving them. Now, if you spend your time serving others, it just might be that you might be surprised that the thing you're looking for in the mirror all along came from serving. That's the point Jesus is making. You can't get there with the mirror in your hand. Two weeks ago, Pastor Casey's son, Colton, y'all know Colton? Uh, started his freshman year at Army at West Point. That's the name. All right, I hear him. Hear him they're doing the other thing, whatever that. I, a&M does it, and then they, 
Every time I mention this, I'm like, what is going on here? And all right. So you know Colton was at Bowie, and he he's had record scoring and, and all of that sort of thing, even his senior year, highly recruited by Army. They really wanted him, and it was a, a long uh, time with Army and West Point really convincing him that this is the place for him and all of that sort of thing. And obviously he signs there, and he goes last year to the prep. Now the prep is there because most guys, what they found in the history is you come in there to be a freshman at Army at West Point, most people walk away because they can't handle it because they it just totally threw them off their rocker. Uh, they just like, this is crazy uh, what you're being put under uh, to just get in at that school. And so most people, so they started this prep thing to sort of be a step to help introduce you to some things before you actually go through the hard thing of being entered into West Point. And it's hard, hard stuff uh, when we just keep up with the physical demands of what it is. And you think Colton, all right, so in Colton's prep season, he scored 70 points in a game. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know anybody that scored 70 points in a game, not Michael Jordan, not anybody. I've never even heard of someone scored. Maybe they have, but very few people. He scored 70 points in a game for Army. Coach knows all this, looks him, hitting the three points and all that stuff, and he's, he's he goes, comes home for a break after the season. He goes back a couple of weeks ago to start his official freshman year. And Colton's coming in, record scorer, big recruit, very important to the program and the future of the program. And you know how they welcome him? Let me show you a picture. Right there. Get in here, Colton. You don't need that pretty haircut. We're getting rid of all that. And we're going to stick a T-shirt on you, and you're going to be a number, and they're going to yell at you, and we're going to run you through trenches for six weeks. You're going to feel like you can't make it over and over and over and over. You're going to want to quit, and you're going to want to quit, and we are going to pound you and pound you and pound you. And we're going to strip you of all your individuality. Why? Well, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, actually. The military knows for the military to be successful in what it does, every part, doesn't matter what part, every part in a military needs to have great synchronization with all the other parts. United we stand, divided we fall. And this is life or death in the military. But for us to do and, uh, and uh, fulfill the objective of our country, everyone has to be a part. So when you come in, you're going to shave your head. You're going to look like everybody else. You're going to get stripped of all that individuality, all the focus on you. And we want you to put the mirror down in your life, and we want you to look through a window. And in that window, you're gonna, what you're going to look at is you're going to see the welfare of your country, your commanding officer, and the guy next to you. That is your focus and filling your part for the welfare of the whole. And they start with that. That's actually the secret to a great life. It's actually the secret to joy. Losing yourself in something else that is great. We tend to think being served is where it's at. Cancun, you're on the beach, and people keep coming to you and serving you, and you're like, this is the life. Jesus says, that's hell. 
And it's just a matter of time for you to figure that out, that you being served, being the narrative of your life is horrible. Where life is found is you being the one serving others. That's where it's at. That's what you're looking for. And you can't get it any other way. You can't live your life thinking that's what life is all about. That is a pathway to misery, especially in the kingdom. Uh, I was walking the halls in a church I served in years ago. 100-year-old church has an education wing, you know, like uh, in Sunday school rooms. And, like, there's a chalkboard still in some of those rooms, and some of them have a whiteboard. Well, I was going through. I was serving on staff there, and, and I went to one of the rooms, and I was, I can't remember what I was doing, looking for something or, or whatever, but I was in the room, and I looked up on the, on the board, and they had this on the board. And I wanted you to put it up in front of you. Up here, the, the Jesus, others, and you. And I knew exactly what they meant because was that acrostic? Joy. What's the secret to joy? Get rid of the mirror. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You're often the perfecter of our faith. And as you keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll fill your heart. With love, with goodness. He'll take your eyes off of you and he'll give you life. He'll give you compassion for other people. He'll give you peace and contentment. Why? Because you're not worried so much about what's happening to you. You're worried about him. You're worried about the kingdom. You're focused on others. And your part in that, and you are lost in that. And when that is your life, you have found life. You have found life. That's the secret to joy. Jesus, others, and you. Next week we're going to talk about how to find your place in the body of service, in the kingdom. How, how, how do I get, where do I go, what do I do um, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how the kingdom works and how Jesus talks about how the kingdom works and how you, being a part of it, actually play a part in the eternal thing that God is doing on the earth. Consider our founder who started his kingdom by becoming nothing. He served people, did good all the days of his life. He made the ultimate sacrifice on the cross to atone for sinners. He was made poor so we could be rich. He died so we could live. He became nothing so we could gain everything. And he did it for the joy set before him. He's looking out the window into the kingdom. And his heart was full of love. And he was willing to give up everything for it. Consider him and follow in the same way. Amen? So Christians always asking this question. Is my life being lived for the kingdom? Is my life right now characterized more by a mirror or a window? In what way? Where is my primary attention in my life if I have to try to think about that? What is consuming me? By the way, much of anxiety and depression is solved with this very principle. Much of it. How do I make sure my life is always looking through the same window Jesus was looking through? That's a great question for your life, life groups this week. Amen? All right, let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your goodness. And Lord Jesus, we see you evidently set forth and crucified on behalf of sinners. And it wasn't because you wanted to show off. It was because you love what you saw, the Father's will, the kingdom of God, salvation of sinners, the eternal kingdom of God, and worship. And we give you praise. And, oh, Lord, as we keep our eyes on you, may your motive be ours. Totally. May you, the vision of you and your kingdom and serving others, eclipse all the selfish, selfish ambition in our hearts, all the things that we think about for our own welfare. May we lay that all down through the window. I know there's not a person in this room, Lord, who doesn't have it back and forth sometimes. Secure us, Lord. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Give us a vision of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the greatness of what God is doing on the earth, and that you're inviting us in. Consume our hearts. Fill us with joy, purpose, meaning, contentment, that we might have life. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.